Data Stories number 39. Hi, Moritz. What's going on? Hey, Enrico. How are you doing? Uh, that was speed up. Speedier than usual. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm good. And you? Yeah, good, good, good. Uh, scrambling to get everything together before I leave for holidays again <laughs> in two yeah. weeks or so. <laughs> so I'm trying oh, to poor, wrap everything poor up. Poor you. Poor yeah, you. yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. stressful life. But I am leaving as well soon, so... <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, I think we will go on a on a summer break with data stories as well, right? After this one, I think we'll take a month uh, off. I think so, right? I think so, yeah. We, we deserve should. it. We've been working hard this year. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys cannot complain. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. what you doing? Any any exciting stuff? Exciting stuff. Well, summer is here. It's exciting by itself. Uh, <laughs> uh, we just got notified that we had a few papers accepted at this. Mm. That's, of course, pretty exciting for us. That's really, really good. And there are a couple of uh, papers that I really am really looking forward to uh, publish online and talk more about them because mm-hmm. that's, that's stuff that can be really interesting for our listeners, I guess. So what are the topics? So we have one that has been, um, there is something that I've been looking into for, for many years, but never had enough courage to, <laughs> to do some research. And it's uh, on persuasion, actually. Okay. So we, we, we started, we, we run a few studies trying to understand whether and when visualization is persuasive. And uh, that's really interesting. We got some mixed results and I'm really, really excited about that. Cool. And then uh, there is another another thing that can be interesting for our listeners is um, I have a little collaboration with uh, some guys at Indria and uh, we've been working on visual literacy, which is actually another another mm-hmm. very important hot topic, I guess, because uh, yeah, we don't know what people understand when we show our visualizations, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's important to start understanding what people understand or can understand. Uh, right. Even I mean, if you if you go past beyond a few bar charts, which I guess for some people are still hard to understand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not clear what what happens, right? And it's not even clear how to measure that. There are, there are no established uh, methodologies out there. So I think that's really interesting too. Right. But you will be at this as well, right? You're organizing yeah, something. Yeah, I sort of have to. <laughs> <because> <laughs> somebody talked me into it. No, yeah. I, I handed in uh, two proposals and they were both accepted. So we, well, Dominicus, who we also had on the show for the moment, yeah. and yeah. I, um, we will do a tutorial on web-based visualizations and we uh-huh. will treat everything except like visualizing data, everything that needs to go around it, like... How do you promote the visualization? How does it need to work so it looks good on Facebook? How do you track your users? Like oh, all that's the really interesting. Stuff, all the secret practical stuff, responsiveness and performance optimization. So everything except the D3 tutorial part. Oh, that's really yeah, cool. I yeah, like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, we thought that's a good thing to, to talk about. And we collected some experiences and we would like share it in a tutorial. 
And the second one is a panel um, with all the big NGOs I've been working with, like OECD, World Economic Forum, um, World uh -huh, Bank, uh -huh. and so on. And so we will talk a bit about the challenges for data visualization in these contexts and uh -huh, uh -huh. what it means for these organizations to put data out there and how they do it and how they could improve, things like that. Oh, that's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah. So I um, will see you in Paris. <laughs> yeah, Paris is going to be really, really yeah, cool. It's I'm so much looking week. forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to our special guest today. We have, we're going to have an Italian show. Uh, benvenuto to <laughs> Paolo Ciuccarelli from Density Design. Hi, Paolo. Ciao, Paolo. Hi, Enrico. Hi, Moritz. Hey, Paolo. How are you? Uh, fine. Fine. It's evening here. It's uh, almost raining. Uh, raining? Well, cra crazy weather here raining in Italy. Raining in Italy yeah. in July. End of July. Heavy raining. Wow. We have a, a, a weather that is more similar to London or Paris. I, mean, I don't <laughs> oh know what's happening. God. Oh my God. Evidences of this climate change and global warming <laughs> phenomenon. Have you heard about it? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's coming. Really. It's, it's impressive. Yeah. It's impressive. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, it's really strange. Yeah, we should visualize that, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, variation in temperature and everything. Yeah, it could be nice <laughs> and useful, especially. Yeah, no, apart from that, it's going well. I'm here in my office and uh, yeah, waiting for this very special moment. <laughs> finally, finally. We should say we've been chasing you. We've been chasing you for a long time. You are the busiest yeah. person no, <laughs> ever. <laughs> So you are apparently nah, busier than uh, what Ben Schneiderman <laughs> or <laughs> and all the nah, other guys I'm, we had here. <laughs> I'm probably not as good as all these people <laughs> in organizing my time and managing my you know, my stuff. I'm especially not good in saying no. Uh, so you know that yeah. it means creating. Yeah, very I know this problem time very well. Consuming, energy consuming activities. Nice. I mean, as you know, I'm in charge for different things in terms of, you know, institutional duties here at university. So yeah. it's more more challenging and time consuming, energy consuming than I expected. So yeah. that's mainly the reason. <laughs> and you have a big family too. So we can uh, we yeah, can all sympathize family and some we other, all sympathize yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three so kids, can, can you tell us a bit about like your background yeah. and and uh, what you do? Well, I'm currently associate professor at Politecnico di Milano. Here, it's a polytechnic university where there are three different areas: engineers and architects and designers. Actually, designers are the youngest in the middle. I would say trying to merge the two worlds of engineers and architects. And I. Uh, more or less, I never left university, I would say, <laughs> seriously, in the sense I graduated here at Polytechnico in Architecture. It was long ago, 1996. And, uh, well, I had, at that time, I had a, an agency, communication agency with some friends, because communication was has been always my passion. Mm -hmm. And uh, But I, I had always contact with university, so I started with some you know contracts for research and um, and then the time uh, where the school of design has been created I, I was there and so that was a very 
positive moment for being in university because you know a new totally new branch opened it. Uh, we started with product design and then after a couple of years with uh, communication design and it was a new territory entirely so that was my i was lucky i have to mm -hmm. say you know being the right moment in the right place and uh, there was a need of people teaching and doing research and um, so that that's how i i came to university well i i always been there and uh I decided on a certain point to close this agency and uh, yeah, then I, I'm i here. I'm now leading also the program of communication design on bachelor and master level and, uh, and then all the time is, is here at university, both on teaching and uh, doing research with density design and uh, yeah, I live here. 24 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> but, but did I get that right? That your original true. background is in architecture, actually. Yeah, it's architecture. Yeah. <laughs> and have you ever built right. a house? Or <laughs> I did. I did uh, nice. two or three projects. Cool. Um, yeah. But then I I, re I realized by practice that was not my my job. I I really like and I'm really happy after you know 20 years <laughs> for my background i i think it's really really important i mean it's something that is really helping me in uh, doing what i do today and you know architecture is about space it's about organizing things on space yeah, real sure. space 3d mm -hmm. space and that's i think really important when you do visualization when you do data and information visualization it's about organizing things in space basically at, yeah, at, at yeah. first level sure, then sure. then you work with the, all the other variables but as a starting point you have the space you know, the, the plane or the 3d space and then you put things on that yeah. <laughs> so i i think it's and what is also important i think um is the humanistic side of architecture so that's very important so when you study phenomenon or phenomena like cities or you know social phenomena well there, there is a lot i think in this kind of background and i'm really happy really even if i just did a couple of projects and <laughs> just realized that was not my career but <clears throat> i'm happy definitely and you know you realize after years <laughs> the importance of what mm -hmm. you do in university mm -hmm. that's what i always teach uh, say to my students <laughs> you will see you will realize <laughs> once yeah. in in some years that uh, you are doing something important yeah, yeah it works yeah but sometimes that, i come back yeah i think it's true for in many cases when you go to university you 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 learn stuff, right? You you go through so many books and notes and and lectures, but then these are just little seeds that you plant there. It's not who you're going to be necessarily, right? It's just these little Absolutely seeds. Absolutely not. There yeah. are so many ways to let these seeds blossom, <laughs> and I think in a way it's true for myself as well. I mean, I've been doing so much. So I have a degree in computer engineering. I've been doing stuff like electronics, super hard stuff. I will never use this stuff again, right? But but in a way, you have these little seeds that grow inside you. And I don't know, I think there is a value to, to, to that. Yeah, and more importantly, I would say it's studying architecture. It's one course in architecture that uh, brought me to, to density design. So it's when I... Uh, I started, 
I don't know if it's the right topic in the right moment, but I, I think it's connected to, to my background. Mm -hmm. In fact, if today density design exists, it's because of a course I had in architecture. Mm -hmm. It was a course about uh, architectural technologies, you know, technical stuff. But the professor uh, decided to teach us something about uh, the theory and the philosophy of complexity. You know? wow. <laughs> something that was totally <laughs> far from any technical uh, element of architecture. And, uh, but it was the time where I, uh, the bibliography of the course was, uh, you know, uh, Morin, Edgar Morin and the method for complexity and Prigogine, uh, Capra, you know, all these features of Capra, all these philosophers of complexity. And I, I really, I was totally, um, I cannot say, you know, excited by this new approach to the world. And it really changed my life. And that was the starting point for density design. When I started in 2004, with my studio, the name was Density Design. It was a course. It was a studio course in, um, in the master level. The, the starting point was complexity and was uh, the idea that um, maybe visualization, visual language could be useful uh, in trying to not to reduce too much complexity and to bring this complexity in the hands of decision makers, let's say. So uh, I realized that the world is complex. And so what, what can we do with the competencies of designers uh, to try to not to reduce this complexity because it's a richness and to bring this complexity in the hands of people that can do something on society. So that was a starting point. There was nothing about data, not, nothing about information. I was not aware of the existence of data at the, <laughs> no, in 2004. And so I started from, you know, from this kind of neat perception, this kind of approach to, 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 to the world. And it was for me, uh, I was more impressed by, I, I remember the exact moment when I saw something that was called uh, cyber geography or something like that, a website where you could find all the maps of the internet. Of the internet, the I first, know this one. Yeah, the yeah, first yeah. maps of internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I got fascinated by these visual shapes and, and I, I, I said, okay, that's, that's complexity. I mean, that's, <laughs> I can, this is the visualization of complexity I can try to work with in order to make this complexity available, usable, uh, accessible for, for, for a broader audience, so that that's that was the starting point, and then after and after I uh, I discovered uh, data. I, I can't even remember why and how, but on a certain Nobody point, I does. came to don't worry. <laughs> I, came, I came to data, but it was really at the beginning. It was about I started with uh, you know diagrams as conceptual and visual devices in order to you know. Uh, explore the reality it was something more kind of more philosophical and uh, it was this using these visual shapes these forms these structures in order to you know connect elements and to recreate the complexity of phenomena so mm -hmm. it was really a, that, that was a starting point and um, uh, what else this is a connection between what i am today and uh, what density design how density design started and uh, my background 
So density design started in 2004, you said? As a course, it was the title that I gave to, to the course. And now, after years, I have also an explanation for the title. My... <laughs> 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 You know, it's, 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 that, that. That's, <laughs> that's something I, I learned in architecture because you discover that uh, all the wonderful sketches that you see in the magazines that all have been drawn after. So <laughs> they were not the starting point that the architects normally draw for, you know, for the magazines after because it looks nice to have some, some sketches. Yeah. On <laughs> then you, you tell your story that, yeah. yeah, on a napkin it was, <laughs> I was drinking wine with friends and it was this, you know, that's, but no, it's, um, yeah, the, the explanation is, uh, that is actually the density uh, we, we are talking about is the relationship between the complexity that is growing in the sense that in the evidence is more and more evident that the world is complex, so it's growing in our perception, the complexity. But on the same time, we have less and less time to decide on that. So complexity is mm -hmm. growing, time is shrinking. Yeah. Yeah. Shrinking and multiplied by <laughs> a factor <laughs> to make it more complex, a factor that I... Uh, it's. Uh, the cultural distance of all the stakeholders that are involved in decisions. So, uh, likely, uh, the decision process and decision-making processes are opening, so you have more and more people involved. The, the table is growing, you have many people sitting around this table, but it makes the thing, the, the process more complex. So, you have, you know, distances in terms of cultural background, uh, uh, strategic objectives and so on. So it, it makes multiply the, the, the relationship and the ratio between complexity and time. So this is the explanation I invented for. <laughs> but it's, it's true. It and you invented it after, <laughs> after deciding on yes, the name. Yes, certainly. Of after, after, yes. <laughs> well, all the people here say that uh, I... I invent before the box and the label, and then I start thinking to the, <laughs> the to the content, yeah, how to fill it. I'm a communication designer. I mean, I'm very close to branding, and you know, it's it's normal probably. So, is the main but, goal of density design actually developing? I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, Actually, creating tools to access this complexity, or or what? What's 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 the vision there? Uh, yeah, the, we I try we try uh, to keep as much as much as possible this vision alive. But mm -hmm. you can understand, you can imagine. I mean, it's not always possible to start from this kind of philosophical <laughs> level. Then, yeah, it depends on with the, the, the person that you have in front of you. I mean, you can start talking about data visualization or infographics even. Yeah. <laughs> or if you have the right person talking about the complexity of the phenomenon they are managing and uh, try to come to. But in any case, I try to uh, really to, 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 in any case, to convey the idea that we don't do really data visualization in the proper sense because that's not something we are we are trained for, I mean, we are designers, so we don't do information and data visualization in the proper sense, in the literary sense. So we, we are always in the middle. There is a need, there is a, a kind of need that is emerging and, uh, and there is an opportunity that in, in our case is more or less often about data and information. And we are in the middle to try to merge these two, uh, these two poles and find 
kind of solutions, uh, creating interfaces. That's what we do. Yeah, but we I often use the the, the a description that says, I mean, we are here to create interfaces and visual representation that makes the complexity of the phenomenon you are managing visible, accessible, and usable. So that's something I say it a lot. So it means that we have probably the right um, person on the other side. But yeah, it's, sometimes you can use it, even if, if it sounds a bit complicated. <laughs> yeah. I really like this idea, Paolo, because I think this way of, of looking at visualization as a tool to actually expose complexity of many phenomena to, to more people, right? I think that for... I mean, looking into data is not a new thing. I mean, statisticians have been doing that for, for ages. Uh, but at the same time, as you were saying, I think that we've been growing into a culture of compressing this data down to a number or two, right? And for the first time, the way I see it is that visualization is a tool that, um, yeah, I really like what you said. It's a tool that actually allows people to open the box a little bit and let, and let people look into it, right? Yeah, and the, the interesting fact and, uh, is that um, I, I really find, again, something about this idea in, uh, in, in the projects we do in very, very recently. For example, we, with the work we, we, we are doing with uh, people from humanities, I, I find a lot of this, uh, of this issue. Um, more, most, I think mostly all, all the issues and the problems they, they, they bring to us are these kind of problems. They, they see the, the phenomenon they are studying as a complex phenomenon. There are some dimensions of this phenomenon that are uh, hidden behind the visualization tools they have. So they need something that can expose, that can make visible these dimensions that they don't see in the actual tools they're using. Like, But maybe this is a topic we can deepen after, I don't know. But it's, it's, it's interesting for me that it, it was a kind of a vision started in a kind of a very intuitive way. And even after 10 years, we will celebrate in autumn uh, 10 years of oh, existence wow. <laughs> of yeah. the title. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, after 10 years, it's still there. And so probably it's it's something that makes sense. It will and, stick uh, around for a while, I think. I think it's going to be around for a while. I have this, yeah, I think so. I have this also, this, uh, yeah. this suspect. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's very interesting. Like, or I always found it very interesting how the lab operates because in one way it's a very... As you said, you're a designer, so of course you, you research through doing practical works because design is an applied thing, right? But at the same time, we don't have these labs in Europe usually. So I wouldn't be aware of any other design, applied design research lab, you know, for instance, in Germany. Or so so some companies have it, I feel. So I, I feel what you do is actually closer to what maybe a Google lab or an HP lab might do, oh, you know, in spirit, like trying out stuff, working with stakeholders to solve specific problems, but on a visionary level, maybe. Is, is that um, a fair characterization or how would you see it? It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it, it's, I think it's, uh, that there is, a, I would say, 
a technical reason behind that. Yes, I, it's true in this, that uh, I search for you know similar models even to to get inspired because uh, when I after and after the lab uh, uh, grows and uh, sometimes really I felt like you know the need of searching for a model. So how how can how should I manage this this thing? I mean, yeah. what is it? And Whatever how, it is. How, how, <laughs> <laughs> how should it work? I mean, what, what is it? So yeah. uh, we decided on a certain point to call it a research lab. But in design, in fact, the problem is that, yeah, th there is uh, no one other school, I think, in Europe that has the same size uh, as Polytechnico. We have 3,500 students in design. Oh, That's, wow. you know, it's quite oh, big. It's huge, yeah. And uh, we have a PhD in design that is also, also uh, again, quite unique. Right. For example, in, right. Fra in France, it doesn't exist, a PhD in design yeah. Yeah. In, in the country. You know? And in other countries, you have a PhD in design, but it's very small. Mm. So maybe in Germany, it's, it's difficult too. You have to basically do a, a, a philosophical degree or something like this with exactly. a design so, uh, twist to it, something like this. So in Italy, we have this very peculiar PhD in design, and mm -hmm. it exists even before the School of Design. So it's something that's been created in architecture before the existence of the School of Design. And so it's, uh, I think it has, I don't know, uh, 25, 28 years of history. So it's very long, longer than design education in university. But it's, it's, I mean, for me, it's very important. I can't have a research lab without PhD students. And it's something that is a, it's, it's a quite unique combination. Uh, and then I have also this master uh, level in communication design where I have a studio. It's the final studio, so it's where people spend a lot of time in one specific project. So it, it's it's like an ecosystem that mm -hmm. is difficult to replicate somewhere else. That's also why I sometimes feel like caged here because I, I cannot, where I could move with this uh, organization in, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. <laughs> it has to be there. A, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it has, in a way, it has to be here. And uh, at the moment, I couldn't find any other place. Um, I mean, maybe it's just a matter of searching better, but yeah, yeah so far I, I have the same feeling, the same impression as you have. Yeah, and there is a long tradition of design at Politecnico. Yes, but all the you know the main uh, the masters of design, the very the very known people in design are all architects. So uh -huh. design was. Mm -hmm. But I guess fashion is also big there, right? As an industry, yes, and uh, we have also a fashion design degree since uh -huh. uh, I don't know maybe five six years, uh -huh. and it, it's new, but it's it's working very well. It would be cool to have clothes with visualizations on top. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, started... wearable is the next big thing, right? So. Yeah, but I started with um, with jewelry. They're producing some very nice jewels that are produced with, you know, these 3D printing machines. Uh -huh, that uh -huh. are mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I starting can see that. Yeah. Also, yeah, printing with metals. And uh, so in jewelry, they started doing something like that. So you have basically data and a form that yeah. is created out of data. So that's... Yeah, I, th I think we will work together sooner or later. <laughs> it just occurred to me that you could actually wear a monitor of some sort that <laughs> that gives some some representation of your biological signals so people well, can see you know, when you are 
angry or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like very dangerous kind of device, but that would be interesting. Yeah, I can see, see some very dangerous drifts. Anyway, sorry for interrupting. People will see when you're angry. Um, they, they might have Okay. No, but like variables or objects, I think it's super interesting. And maybe then your architectural education comes full circle if you like put it back into spaces and so on. Yeah, yeah in yeah. fact, I have to say that it's something that we we didn't do a lot. So I think we, there is space for do something more in terms of physical things and, you know, uh, creating something physical out of data. That's yeah. something we tried two, three times with students. We made some exercises, but... I think we can definitely do more, especially because if you want really to go public with data, I think there is nothing better than an exhibition in a space where people can touch and really feel physically the data. I think that's yeah. Yeah. It's really working. And we had a workshop this year with um, Carl Di Salvo. I don't know if you know him. He's a professor in Caltech in Georgia Tech. And uh, no, in Georgia Tech, sorry. And... Um, Uh, it was really about uh, putting data uh, on giving data to the public, so really creating engaging situation for for citizen and it was everything naturally I would say became uh, physical I mean, mm -hmm. and uh, tangible and interactive and it was very interesting so and Can you tell us a little bit more about how the lab works? So you have, uh, I guess you have, uh, how many PhD students you have on average? Is it more? It depends. Uh, now is two uh -huh. uh, because Giorgia uh, Lupi just finished. Oh, yeah, so sure. The, yeah, the, the, one of the PhD students I had in my lab. But I think the maximum I had in, you know, in parallel was four PhD students. Okay, but I guess you also have master's students. There, there must be a mix of, of students there, right? Then I have, well, basically I have uh, PhD students and um, then I have research uh, contracts, people okay. that do research uh, and I pay with projects we have. Then I have, uh, there, there are uh, interns, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. students that decide to spend their internship on the lab, mm -hmm. in the lab. And we start having also internship from abroad, and that's very interesting. So we had a... Oh, nice. The last one was from, from Germany, from the Köln International School of Design. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. We had people, people from, a uh, student from, uh, from France, from Portugal. And that's very interesting, you know, is, uh, you know, fertilization is very, very important. And then there is this um, integration with teaching, so... In the studio, we always bring some research topics and we challenge students with very uh, high-level problems. And um, So let's say so I'm guess. a student and I want to work with you. I want to come to Milan and work at Density Design. How, how does this work? But you can apply for the PhD if it's a long relationship mm -hmm. that you're searching for. <laughs> Or you can apply for an internship and... Um, That's another possibility, or maybe uh, that's for a student. But if you, uh, there are also other ways, I think. We, we didn't try with research contracts for people abroad, but mm -hmm. this could be a way. I think it depends also on the salary. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we, in Italy, we are probably not uh, as 
competitive as in other countries in terms mm -hmm. of salary for research. Yeah, but, but we have good food, lots of good things. <laughs> I can provide something else, so some <laughs> benefits that could be interesting. Um, yeah, at the moment I have um, more research contracts than PhD students. And, uh, oh, interesting, yeah. And yeah, how does, uh, oh, yeah. sorry for interrupting. No, in, in, since two years, uh, uh, I have a, a research contract that is um, in, on a person that, is, that has a different background. So he's not a designer, he's a computer scientist. Mm -hmm. So that was new, but it's, it's a very interesting, and I would say necessary integration. So it's working very well. And I think in the future, we will have more of these profiles in, in the lab. Mm -hmm. Uh, one one practical question, especially in the beginning. So I've been following your work, I think, for eight of these ten years or something. <laughs> and uh, in the beginning, I think especially there was a very coherent style to the output of Density Design Lab. And I was always sure it's only two or three people, like maximum, uh, because it was so so coherent visually. But then I learned it's wow, it's ten people, and it's all kinds of levels of you know qualifications and. I found that very interesting. Like, did that emerge um, on its own, or did you really um, try and coin a, f a certain visual style first um, to to sort of establish a certain voice? Or I, I found that very striking and very unique. Like, you would see a, like a poster design from Density, and was immediately clear, yeah, it's Density Design Lab, right? Well, uh, probably it's emerging. On its own, so it's not it's not planned at all. So there is nothing. Uh, I never, probably, I never discuss anything about style or you know. It's there's never been a kind of a, an issue for mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. So I think it's totally emerging as a you know by by itself. So there is it's not not at all an issue. I would say. Mm -hmm. So, so it's I, just I'm, a self-reinforcing process, more or less. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's part of the tacit knowledge inside uh -huh. the lab. Yeah. So there is a kind of a continuity, but it's, I think it's part of the of some kind of imitation process. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe people that start working on a certain organization maybe probably try to imitate, what, 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 you know, to imitate what what people do in this lab. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. but it's in in any case, it's autonomous. So there is no strategy, no plan, no mm -hmm. no specific. Um, there has never been a style uh, guide, yeah. no density design absolutely, style guide. Absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. But if you think, I mean, if you, I think that if you go in the website that is totally not updated, I mean, you can, you can still see some visualizations that are uh, probably uh, on the opposite. If you see something of some of the recent works, yeah, I yeah. mean, the, we on a certain point we started playing with. Uh, very illustrative and very figurative visualizations mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it was really but it was an attempt it was part of a certain period and we really tested the limit of uh, of these visual backgrounds that could serve as a as a context for data but it was really we produced something very very uh, it was more like piece of art and illustration. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, the, the wired, the wired future yeah, vision example, scenarios. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. this kind of stuff. We did that for, you know, for one two years, and it was 
what, what, what is interesting is that this kind of visualization are still there and you still find people that search for us for <laughs> these kind of things that yeah. we are no more able to do and we even <laughs> I would say we don't want to do because it's so far from what we do today yeah. and especially because it was really linked to the competencies of, of a person that is no more working with us today so but you have if you browse the website and you, you don't know anything you really can Right, uh, you know, I think the Flickr the Flickr stream should be the best source to understand the whole history, right? Is it still like maintained the Flickr feed? Because this is where most of the works were, at least. Yeah, right? we. I'm not really happy of how we manage our communication tools <laughs> and uh, yeah, the website, the Flickr account, everything. It's yeah. it's totally. We have to do something on that, but you know. How it works. <laughs> yeah, never have time for your own stuff. Nobody's happy with that for themselves, I think. But for me, the yeah, the Flickr stream has been a good reference always. Like when when looking for what what has been done around the lab. So okay, that's an interesting feedback. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Yeah, but I really like the, the fact that that's the thing I like about designers doing visualization the idea that so i myself i come from from my background is engineering computer science and uh, it's been always so frustrating for me to see how a lot of good tools and visualizations out there just look so ugly that there's no way anyone is going to be attracted by it right and what really worried me is also, it's not just that, it's also the fact that there are, there were a lot of people out there saying, oh, but that's, that's just, just design, right? Mm. I hate that. This just design is, is so, I mean, I cannot say the word that I want to say. I mean, it's, it doesn't make any sense, right? And I think there is so much value in these, uh, on having people like you that actually come from a completely different kind of, uh, starting point right so that's what i like of some of the visualizations that come from your lab that they are really uh catchy attractive but in a way that is not just let's put a thousand different colors here right it's not it's not junk food there is there is a you can see that there is a design process out there right behind that and this is something that i don't know how to teach to 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 people who have different backgrounds yeah, that's. That, I think it's really a challenge, and uh, maybe it's not by chance that there is no, uh, as far as I know, no specific programs that um, try to merge all these competencies. So, for example, try to teach design to computer scientists, or try to teach mm. really computer science to design in a very specific way, especially for data visualization. I think there is a kind of a lack of, uh, and maybe nobody uh, still developed. Uh, kind of a method for merging these two disciplines that have a very different roots. I think it's it would be one of the challenges for education in this field. So how to merge effectively these two domain and to teach in a very effective way. Because we have uh, one or two courses in computer science, let's say, or something like that, programming and... but. They, they are not effective so in the sense that students don't get you know, the, the, the sense of it. They don't get the, the, the real meaning, the real spirit and the usefulness of these 
uh, competencies. And it's really a pity because at the end, they, they hate programming. You know, for me, it's a disaster <laughs> because at the end, I teach 50 students every year in, in this field and I hardly can find five, six of them that have a, an interest in something like programming. And out of this five or six, maybe one or two are really able to develop a real competence on, on that side. And so there is really luck. And this is what actually the market is searching for. And, uh, you know, so this is my the institutional part of me that is mm -hmm. talking about you know, <laughs> teaching programs. And uh, But I really see a, a gap, a, a hole that should be, I think, filled. So I, I perfectly understand your feeling. Uh, and I, I have the same feeling on the other side, I think. So maybe maybe the faculties should give each other workshops, right? So the, the, the computer scientists could give workshops for the designers and, and vice versa. I mean... Yeah, I, honestly, so I don't think that, of course, I don't think that the solution is to make sure that everyone is is knowledgeable about everything, because I don't think that's going to work. I want designers to be designers and computer scientists to be computer scientists, right? Uh, but at the same time, I think the challenge there, uh, so I can tell you from my side, I would love to have something like uh, design rules for computer scientists, right? <laughs> And conversely, programming for designers, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't see that happening at, at any reasonable scale. And I would love to have that. And I don't know how to make it happen. Maybe me and you, Paolo, and, and Moritz as well, we should, we should, I don't know, find a solution to that. No, but seriously, very practically speaking, I. so next time I'm going to teach my students I always think about, I want these people to create things that are a little more beautiful than they are. And I don't know how to do it because there's there's no, I don't have tools to do that. I don't know how to do it. Well, I'm thinking to uh, what you say, <laughs> but uh, I think there is uh, maybe something uh, deeper than that. So it's not just about rules. Uh, I think there is a kind of a, from my side, uh, there is a kind of a designerly way of programming. I don't know how to say, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I, like I think uh, no, that I is, absolutely um, agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and maybe that's that's why, but that's something that is needed. But it doesn't mean that you don't need programmers, real programs, programmers and computer scientists. But together, they 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 can really easily work together if they have. The, the knowledge, but not only the knowledge. They they know what it is. They mm. do it on with their own approach, but they do it. So on the other side, maybe there is also a kind of a programmer's way of doing design. I don't know how, but that, that's your side. So it's up to you to <laughs> think about it. But from my side, I, I think there is this kind of, as I said, the designerly way of programming, of coding that is not perfect, I'm sure. But it, it doesn't have to be perfect because there are other people that will make it perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that, that's my, my, my point at, at the moment. It's totally evolving. So. so let me ask this question to an expert in design. I've always wondered, so do you think that, very honestly, do you think that there are people who just don't have any aesthetic sense at all and there's no way to... <laughs> No, I mean, uh, honestly, <laughs> very practically speaking, I'm always wondering about that. Because, of course, you teach to 30 people and you can see that there are two of them who have a natural aesthetic sense. 
And, and that's great, right? And then you have some other people who just don't get it. There's no way they don't get it, right? <laughs> and there's nothing wrong. I mean, each one of us has different kind of abilities. That's that's normal, right? But how do you handle that? Or actually, no, I have a much much more precise question. So if I don't have, so let's say that I don't have any aesthetic sense at all, right? But, and I do understand that I don't have any aesthetic sense at all, and I don't like it, right? So what can I do? You are asked away if you realize that you don't have <laughs> an aesthetic sense. Well, yeah, I think you, you start with the basics. You start uh, learning about history of art, history of your architecture, and then you feed your mind with aesthetics. And so it's, uh, I think you... you I mean, for us, there is there should be a way to teach it and to learn. Yeah, that's the why the reason why I'm asking. You are the so expert. The, I, I, what I what I can say is that the way we do it is by you know providing students uh, courses about history of arts, history of communication design, history of uh, graphic design, history of whatever. So, history, going back and see what other people did what were the reasons behind that and so and feeding the mind and the, you know the eyes and the mind of of students with uh, images and uh, and the process behind them so i think that's the way so learning and studying and seeing and reading and feeding yourself with uh, with aesthetics i think there's that's the way and it's not by chance that we have every year in our program we have something unexperienced about it and uh, so that's that's probably the the only answer i can i can provide yeah that some talented people but we can't uh, rely only on that i mean <laughs> we we have to think to the other 45 that don't have this <laughs> one, one this, thing uh, that i really talent. like so the, the, so tell me if this is if this is right or wrong okay so one little strategy that i have myself i think it's the it's something that has been advocated by Tafti for a long time. First rule, try to do no harm, right? I mean, I think that simplicity is the, is the biggest thing here because if you realize that, so I have a terrible aesthetic sense, the last thing I, I should do is play with stuff, right? So let's go back to the basics, right? Few colors, few few variables out there. Let's make it simple because the simpler it is, the less chances I have to make a huge mess. Does it make sense? Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> really? The, the rule is also like if you're... <laughs> Moritz, what's your take on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It, it's sort of related to if you don't have much to say, don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's also a good, uh, good rule to follow. Yeah. You are a smart guy, Enrico. Don't uh, <laughs> you are doing right. <laughs> but I, I absolutely agree. I think there's a couple of very basic things that you need to be that you have to have seen a few times, and you have to get it explained maybe by a designer, and then you start seeing certain mechanisms again and again, and. And then you train your design sense, right? So often it's like uh, you have to have a start in some way, like a certain way of thinking about design or observing design when it happens or when it works or doesn't work. But then it's a self-reinforcing thing because then you you start to think about what how how, how would I design that or what would be a good solution in that situation and so on. 
Yeah, how could you have a, an aesthetic sense if you never came to art museums so you didn't yeah. see exhibition? And uh, you will never do that if you didn't have someone in your life that show you something at first time. So I think it's a kind of a process that has to be started somewhere that, and then you have to fit it uh, constantly. So I think there is no other, other way. Yeah. But I mean, the other, uh, the other thing is you have to go beyond not doing any harm because just avoiding problems is not making you a good designer, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, the really, you have to take your own really risks. The yeah, basic skill is yeah to make to be assertive. I think that's the big leap you make once you get into designing is to you dare to make statements, right? So first phase is maybe avoid mistakes. Second is make statements and be assertive yeah. and be bold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 but so another thing i'm wondering so the way you guys are are describing how design works looks to me that so you're stressing a lot this idea that it's you have to immerse yourself into design right so look at what others have done uh try to sketch a lot of things by yourself uh, I think that's also the reason why you you have studios, right? A studio, if I understand correctly, is having a bunch of students together with a, with a designer uh, going through a lot of examples and, and little projects, right? Is that correct? Yeah, and do things. I mean, you learn you learn by doing. That's that's basically a studio. So you, you have a brief, you have a project, and then you, you do it. You do it, and you have reviews, and you, dis, you have discussion, and you then... Well, according to the problem, I can show you something and we discuss about it and, and you make advancements. Yes, it's learning by doing. Yeah, it's, it's very important. So for designers, you, you can't have any design education without that. And that's a problem here because, I mean, um, it's, it's, it, it, it's more costly. So it costs more to have this kind of educational um, format. So it's, uh, it costs more to teach uh, 50, 40 students uh, that's a lot mm -hmm. with a studio than have you know 150 students that uh, listen to a professor that yeah, teaches mathematics for example so uh, it's uh, but it's it's inevitable we can't do any design education without this model and um, it's an interesting point it, it also might mean it doesn't scale to like MOOCs or this online based uh, education right or what's your, what's your take on that <laughs> that's an issue uh, that's an issue um we are, as in an, in any other university here, there is an excitement about <laughs> massive online courses. But I really find difficult to to imagine how, how can you teach design <laughs> remotely. Right. <laughs> For yeah. me, it's you know, it's a it's a kind of a contradiction. I, well, I, I I'm not the person that want to come back to the to les ateliers. You know, this uh, the the modeling. You know, that <laughs> this kind of uh, old models, but. Um, on the other side, I think we can't do anything totally remotely. Um, so there is, a, there is something that you still learn uh, by socializing the process in a way, so side by side. And that's, I don't know, that's my feeling. Um, uh, I know that there is a, you know, a, an increasing amount of courses offered by with this method, but uh, I personally, I think will I, I'm I won't be involved in this kind of things mm -hmm. uh, soon. That's my 
my feeling. <laughs> but so let me ask you something related again. So does it mean that? So I don't think that you guys imply it doesn't imply that design doesn't have rules that you can teach, right? You can still give a lecture to students and say, "Look, these are." The rules? Do you feel comf I mean, do you feel comfortable saying that there are some rules? Oh, not rules. Again, the rules. <laughs> Moritz is, is, is not there. <laughs> I mean, are there rules in computer science? I mean, I think you know. No, no, there are no rules. Exactly. But, I mean, well, there's, I there's heuristics. Well, there's heuristics and there's principles, but there's no. I don't know. I don't think there are rules in design. No. No. Uh, if you, I, I don't know if you if you ever seen this uh, this PDF that is circulating on the web. I can't remember the the, the source, the person, uh, but it's like you know the ninety nine models of design processes. I mean, it's, <laughs> not, yeah, it's a, you have ninety really ninety nine that or something ten I, I, one hundred. I can't remember, but it, it's ninety nine or one hundred models diagrams that represent ninety nine different models of design. Or how to do design. Yeah, maybe it's not, but you have people that tried to, to, to make a model of the process, mm -hmm. but it's still a model, so it's something that you can work on. But uh, at the end, you have many, many models and many, many different ways of doing. And I, well, anytime that a, one of my students comes back from a different school, the first thing they notice is the differences in the model, yeah. in the method. And so oh, now I know they start talking about methods because here they, they don't realize there is a method, but they go abroad and they come back, they see, they, they say, oh, there is a different method. There is a different way of doing things. So I think that, well, the basic, very, very basic steps are always the same. I think there are mm -hmm. three, four steps. You know, you start doing some research that could be on field, that could be desk research. Then you on the problem. So you, you have a problem that there is a person that tell you the problem, or maybe you discover the problem, or you have an idea, an hypothesis, and you research on that. Then you have a first hypothesis, and then you start making uh, some tests, some evaluation. Then you have refinements, and then, then you have delivery at the end. So, but th there are some basic steps, but. You know, it's really, really a very rough skeleton. And then around that, you have many, many different interpretations. I think what well, design is, is an interpretive process. So interpretative process. So it's, there are some pillars, but you play around it a lot. So that's my, my idea. Okay. And... Um... I have another question. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so. I'm, so, <laughs> I'm not I'm here so to happy. teach about design or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's. it's I, I feel so much connection with another Italian that I'm behaving very Italian today. <laughs> Maybe we should switch to Italian for a while. <laughs> um, so no, let me tell you something about what I don't like of designers doing this most of the time. And uh, I want to hear from you if you agree, and in case you agree, what's the solution there? So the problem I see with with lots of designers out there is that they are uh, they fall in love with with the design itself, right? And because of that, sometimes they forget the the receiver, right? The the people who's gonna read that. So they like the style. They fell they fall in love with the style. 
and go adrift with this thing without losing focus on the fact that you need to communicate information. And uh, I see this problem happening from time to time. And uh, so I'm curious to hear from you if you agree with me. And in case you agree, what's the? how do you handle that? Because I'm sure that you are teaching things to your students in order to make sure that whatever they build is going, is going to be not only beautiful, but effective as well. Uh, it should be. I mean, there is no... I mean, that, and that's that design, that, right? I mean, designers want things to be functional, right? That it has to be it functional. Has to be it functional. has to be equally functional. And But I mean, there is no distinction. I, I really hate talking about distinctions about forms no, and no, functions. No, 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 sure. So that's, sure. that's really obsolete in my, my opinion. <laughs> there is no more any, uh, I mean, any distinction. And it's, uh, it's quite clear. I mean, there are a lot of evidences and it's plenty of literature that talks about uh, this kind of disappearance of the distinction between uh, what is functional and what is uh, aesthetical, what is pleasurable. And, you know, I mean, even people like Donald Norman <laughs> at the end came with this idea that uh, that there is no distinction. So I think it's it's quite clear. So let's forget about it. And But just, I mean, it's simply... I can simply say that if they do, if they act as you say it, they're not good designers. I mean, probably th there was something wrong in the, the education. Also, they are just they didn't understand what, what people uh, said, but what the professors said or whatever. So then, just not. They're simply bad designers. Mm -hmm. So it's design is mostly about you know serving a need, uh, exploiting the opportunities you have and. It starts from constraints. It starts from uh, from from constraints that come from, uh, from 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 a user. It's it's fundamentally a user-centered discipline. So there is no way to escape it. If you do it, it's your fault. It's, it's you are just a bad designer. Do you stress so that in your courses? Yeah, so absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's. I think it's the problem is that it's much more easy today to fall in love with uh, with with the feature of a tool, with uh, this a certain style that you see, and I, mean, I, I I think it's on a way it's 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 normal because it's it's very seductive, it's very easy to do it. So I think I can understand that you, you get excited by that. But if you understood what, what design is, you have immediately to, to, to stop this excitement and to mm -hmm. go back to, to the basics and uh, to, to play. I mean, if you think, I mean, when we do any project, you know, in, in, we do, it's, it starts from, from data. And we, we always stress this point. We have to start from data and from the user. We spend a lot of time with people. I mean, it, it passes a lot of time before we really go into visualization. So this, often it's really 20, 30% of the work and more, most of the time is spent in understanding. Mm -hmm. Because how, how many times uh, people come to you with a data set that they pretend represent the phenomenon they have in mind and you simply discussing together you discover that it's not. I mean, this data set is not the right one. Mm. Maybe if you want to see that, if you want to 
make a decision on on this point, maybe it's better if you complement this data set with something else. And that, that's the most interesting part. And that's the, the, the profoundly designerly way uh, of doing that. So I think that, that's where design starts. Mm-hmm. After it's just, you know, is yeah, then there is a translation process. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, perché sto, scusate. <laughs> That's very data uh, stories. Yeah, yeah. There's always something. Mezz'ora e sono fuori, ok? Oh, with some Italian. That's nice. Yeah. I like pizza it. Guy. Okay. Pizza. Nice. <laughs> Come on. I'm sorry, Beer but man. Yeah. No, the, Are you the, being the, kicked uh, out? Do you have to run <laughs> to the street? No, I have, I have, they, they just wanted to, to see if there, there was someone inside. Because <laughs> if, if not, they uh, switch on the alarm. And, you know, <laughs> the okay. security people going yeah. around. And, and I say that uh, I will be here for uh, half an hour. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So cool. that's, I mean, it's, 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 it's a very basic error. Mm-hmm. So if, mm-hmm. if, if you see that, just, I mean, say to these people, you are not designers. Mm-hmm. And no, understanding I've, people's need is, is, is hard, right? Because you have this whole idea of latent needs that people don't know they have, right? Which is huge to me. I think um, being trained how to discover latent needs, I think that's another designy thing that is super hard to learn and teach. How do you teach that? Well, it's... <laughs> It's not my field. <laughs> <laughs> there are, but there are people that just really focus on that. I mean, there are methods and, uh, and tools to, to help users to, you know, put outside, <laughs> to, to explicit, make uh, the needs explicit. And, uh, and it's a lot about discussion. It's about, you know, interaction. It's about socialization. And, uh, you know, there is a a bit of sociology and that, a bit of, you know, anthropology. And, uh, but these are basic uh, contents that you teach. When you do design, you have uh, anthropology, you have mm. a bit of sociology. Mm-hmm. You learn something about it. You learn something about people, about what they, how they behave and what they think. So, but it's something that you can't skip. I, I think it's a good observation that these needs are not necessarily just designers fulfilling requests. But it's more about identifying deficiencies or moving things in a certain direction or questioning mindsets and things like that. And I'm sure, uh, oh uh, sorry, I'm sure um, you, Moritz, must be doing that all the time with your clients as well, right? It depends. I mean, sometimes I have situations where it's very clear cut, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what is to do and what's, what's my reference frame, where to operate, and other times it's very open and I can... Yeah. I can sort of poke some holes somewhere and see yeah, what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Paolo, one thing I was wondering, yes. how does it play out in the... So the last few years you've been doing a lot of work in the digital humanities. So I know you're collaborating with Stanford on the the Republic of Letters project. Is that still ongoing or...? Well, it's a bit on standby, uh, but I think it's, it's like... Uh, I see it as the natural... Um, a cycle of a process that started um, uh, years ago, I think three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that case, especially with a PhD student. But uh, what happened is that now, nowadays, this PhD <coughs> student, uh, well, he got the PhD, uh, now is part of the 
Stanford uh, Humanity Center. So nice. I think this perfect. is the, yeah. it's like, you know, the carve, uh, because <laughs> what happened, in fact, if you look to, to humanities, especially to digital humanities, that's the field we are working in. I mean, that it's clear that they need design, but it's not me saying that. If you read papers about digital humanities, if you go to conferences about digital humanities, more explicit than not, you see references to, to design. So mm -hmm. they, they, they talk about that. And visualization and, and so on, yeah. And visualization and how, but I mean, just looking at, you know, the, the very famous uh, uh, book of uh, Franco Moretti, you know, distant reading and, uh, you know, graphs, trees, maps, you know, you know it's all about shapes, forms and uh, visualization. So it's, it's evident, but was evident also that they didn't have design at all. So they were trying to do something about design without designers, without having uh, this kind of competencies. And uh, so we started a process. We started uh, a process of contamination, I would say. So we did uh, a small projects at the beginning and then we spent some time together. We made uh, bigger projects, and uh, at the end, one of the recent uh, tools is really an environment that uh, follow the, you know, their own specific process of inquiry. inquiry. Mm -hmm. um, and and then I, now at the end, I see really the conclusion of uh, they incorporated design as a competence. <laughs> yeah. I know it's I like it's it. wonderful. I it's think wonderful. it's wonderful. It it's really the the, 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 the the cycle that is closed. I mean, it's, and I think that's what's happened, what is happening in many disciplines. I have the same feeling in many other fields. Now, we are uh, working also since years with sociologists, and it's, it's the same. I have two people from my lab that now work since two years in the media lab of Sciences Po in Paris. They are there. I mean, there was no design before, and now there are two designers inside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm losing pieces, parts <laughs> of the lab. But, but it's on, on the other side, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm happy because it's, you know, they, there is a process of, uh, you know, you start, uh, you know, tasting each other and, you know. But you are planting seeds everywhere. I mean, that's, that's really nice. Yeah, lots you of little like density the, design labs. A, a big like tree who up. is planting <laughs> seeds all over the place, right? Yeah, and when we are lucky, <laughs> the, 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 the link is still active. So sometimes it's really a, con a connection. Mm -hmm. It's a very profound connection because you have someone there that really know what you do. And, uh, and, and then we start doing projects together. So it's, I mean, with cool. Science, but we did a lot of projects and uh, with Stan Stanford is uh, a bit on standby, but we, we want to do something more. And mm -hmm. so it's very, if I look from, you know, from an, an external point of view, it's, it's very positive. It's the, it's the discipline that is, and especially in humanities, really there is a, there are a lot of points of contact and between our respective uh, processes. I mean, uh, the, the PhD uh, thesis of Giorgio Caviglia, that, that's the name of the person that is in, uh, nowadays in Stanford, was really about um, the similarities between the, uh, the inquiry process of a, the research process of a humanistic uh, scholar and the design process. There are so many similarities mm -hmm. between these two processes that it's in a way, it's quite normal <clears throat> that they integrate this competence in their lab. So it's, 
no, uh, yeah, there are positive and negative aspects, but I'm totally happy with that. So should we talk about, so I think we are kind of like reaching the end of the episode, but before finishing, I would love to hear more about Raw because that's, that's a, so we didn't touch upon that and it's a super nice thing coming from your lab. I would love to hear more about, about it. Well, uh, what is interesting is that Raw is totally a, a, a lateral project, a side project that uh, started by, you know, by, by some people here. They, they, they started playing with, uh, well, we did a first tool, I don't know if you remember, it was called so, Fineo. Be, sorry, before you, you describe it, can you briefly, so just in case someone who's listening doesn't know what Raw is, can you... Can you describe the tool, what it does, what it is? Well, uh, I love the description that has been given by, uh, what, what I think it was in Visually. I, I can't remember uh, who wrote the post. It was, the description was uh, a tool by information designers for information designers. <laughs> 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 I think it's, it's true because it started as a tool for ourselves. I mean, uh, we had needs on a certain point to produce some visualization patterns that were not produced by any tool available on the level that we needed. I mean, uh, when we started with Sankey diagrams, if you remember the first tool we did, Fineo, and there was no tool that was able to do that in the way we needed. So we started from us as users, in a way. And then, I mean, after Fineo, we saw that there was a an interest of all these kind of tools and uh, and we also learned a lot from this tool because there were so many limits that people pointed out exactly and uh, after that I don't know again maybe I don't know why and uh, but some people started here playing with this idea of having a, a tool that was more uh, powerful and more open than uh, Fineo and uh, was also more updated in terms of technology and uh, but still with the idea of serving a target of users very similar to designers so to people that has this need of you know creating some rough visualizations that need uh, after uh, a refinement process and uh, but it's a need that we discovered is is not uh, peculiar only of designers. There are journalists, for example, that are using a lot, Raw, as mm -hmm. a tool for creating visualizations. So it started as a, as again, as a lateral project for ourselves. But, you know, nowadays it's, 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 uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon for us. It's, uh, it's growing, it's evolving, and, uh, well, it's, it basically it's an open source tool uh, based on, um, uh, two very solid <laughs> environments. One is AngularJS and the other side is, uh, uh, is D3. So it's very, very linked to the most you know, updated uh, environment. And uh, it's uh, basically you can put your data on the browser. And this is one important point. Everything stays on the browser. So there is nothing to upload. When you close your browser, the data is safe. So that, that was one of the major complaining in, uh, in Fineo. So you copy your data, you paste your data in the window, and then you create, you choose your pattern, mm. and then you create your own visualization. Then you can export in PNG, in SVG, in JSON, and 
HTML. So that's basically what it does. And um, yeah, it's it's working. A lot of people are using it. You know, whenever you have here in Italy an, an open data hackathon or whatever, everybody is using this tool and they call us for doing workshops or you know, expl to, to explain people how it works, to teach people. And it's very, very, it's impressive. I mean, we didn't have any any expectation from that, but I think it's it's good. It's really a, a yeah. positive example on how a side project could evolve and, <laughs> and become something more. Yeah, and it's it's quite quite big now with like ten different chart types or something like this. So it's uh, I think a lot of work has gone into it, right? But what I can also observe when I teach, so I like to show it when I teach because it's so you know you paste in some data and you immediately get results and you just start playing immediately with the data. And I think that's so great about it that it lowers the the entry barrier for people who have maybe. Know, reservations or don't know how to code or for who Tableau would be maybe also too complicated and it's really like an ent a, a, a gateway drug maybe to more complex things. <laughs> <laughs> and one, what I find interesting is that, uh, I mean, it doesn't do something that is unique. I mean, you have plenty of tools that do similar things, but I think, again, what is important is the way uh, to, in which it works. So how it works. So it's the the user experience. I think here is very important. Mm -hmm. So, and um, I think will be more and more important. We are putting a lot of attention to that in the last release. We changed something in the interface. I think it's one of the uh, the, the the strong point is really more on the interface. It's more on how it works than what it does. I think, and uh, that's again maybe part of the design culture, so how designers develop tools, maybe it's different from how computer scientists or journalists or whatever develop tools. It sure seems maybe, like that. Again, yeah, maybe there is a designerly way of developing tools for other people and maybe having always tacitly in mind the users or this kind of things. Maybe, yeah, the user experience, I think it's, it's, key, it's a key point in in this tool and uh, yeah, I love it. We will have the, uh, very soon, uh, we will make a partnership with uh, one of the major publishers here in Italy. They just want to support the tool, mm -hmm. so they will give some money to us for Fantastic. developing the tool as an open source tool. So, and yes, it's good because uh, people like it as an idea. I mean, it's more, more, more than as a tool, so it's, it's a way also to increase a bit the culture of visualization here in Italy, and um, so I think it's we will still invest energy on that. Cool. I think that so one thing I really like about RAW is the fact that so only recently I realized that so we have lots of resources, visualization research resources on the web, but not many tools. So if you think about it, there, it, there there's plenty. Of examples, plenty of libraries, but there's nothing in between, right? And uh, I think that we should have many more tools out there. Uh, the, uh, it's growing. I mean, the, there's I been a whole wave of startups around that. Like, I think there's five or six different startups right now competing for that chart making made simple thing. 
But yeah, I, honestly, I, it's, I, I, I don't see really... Well, I'm not sure what could be the business model behind that. I mean, but we are lucky. Again, we are in a privileged position. We can do open source projects and uh, it's working because of that, I think. Mm -hmm. But how can you... Uh, well, the most important tools you have, I think, more or less, they are all open source. I mean, thanks to Gephi for networks, for example. Yeah. Thanks to Data Wrapper by you know, Greg Reich, and it's it's open source. And journalists are you know excited about it. I mean, yeah. and uh, Raw again, it's it's open source. I'm not sure there is. Well, that's there's Tableau, but that's another market. Let's say. Mm -hmm. And then you have all the tools that create uh, visualizations out of templates. So it's very, very, it's basic and for people that, that doesn't have any They're skill. very simple, yeah. But mm -hmm. in the middle, I'm not sure. Will designers pay for, and how much for a tool that does, you know, or maybe they will simply be embedded into Illustrator or whatever. So mm -hmm. maybe that, mm -hmm. that's, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I cannot, well, I'm not a good uh, entrepreneur, so maybe I just don't see the, the business model, but it's, mm. I'm not sure uh, there is a market for, for this intermediate level. I mean, many people say uh, it's just a way for accessing D3 in a, in a simple way. So they maybe started <laughs> with uh, learning D3 and, um, and then they maybe find it a little complicated and then they came to Raw as a way to intermediate Mm -hmm. uh, the libraries and mm -hmm. that's that's interesting but uh, yeah yeah and I think it can really get people started into moving beyond like standard chart types even if they are not into programming and then and then I also observed when they use it, they're like, yeah that's almost good but now I need to move around the labels or now yeah, I, yeah. I'd like to like rotate it and then they get into this process of customizing it and that's the next step and then at some point they will want to program their own charts and so I think it's great just for getting people started and, and give them something quickly they can work with I think it's fantastic yeah we try to resist because people are asking for uh, bar charts, bar charts. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, labels customization title right, well, right. you have to, to give the possibility to put a title no that's not that's the second step i mean it's not that's not the purpose of the tool so right, right. don't ask it <laughs> No, I, I am a, a big fan of simplicity myself. So I think it, that if so, there are so many good software that then become super bloated and and it's hard. Yeah. And it's hard, right? If you try to to satisfy every single request, I think that's not the the best way to go. Absolutely, keep the focus on your user, and that's. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's the best way. So no pie charts. No page. <laughs> but if the users want it, <laughs> yeah, they can add it. I mean, if you want to do it, do it. You can do it. There is an option. Yeah. I'll write a plugin. No, there is tonight. an option. <laughs> <laughs> there is an option for adding new charts type. You can I'm do not it. against pie, the pie charts. <laughs> I like pie charts. But you can do it. Please add it. Yeah, the Enrico Pyatt Yeah. yeah you, you go on GitHub, there is all the documentation, you learn how to do it, and you can do it. Sure. I expect it. Time so. well spent. <laughs> <laughs> nice challenge. Uh, people will use it, I'm certain. <laughs> there are so many requests, people yeah. will use it a lot. Yeah, but <laughs> you, 
know. I mean, I tend to be skeptical to the fact that... So that's another thing that happened to me recently. We've been telling people for ages and ages, uh, rainbow color map is evil, right? But it's also a reality that there are thousands or even more of quite clever scientists out there who keep using it. So uh, I'm not saying that it's not that is good, but I don't think that is as bad as we picture it. And I think there are many things in visualization that we picture as evil. And I think we should be a little bit more careful because if a lot of people use them, there, there, there must be some value in it. Uh, at least that's my take. But yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, it's but it, I think it's normal. It's easy to start from zero and one. So say that's good, that's bad, and it's it's a way to simplify the issue. And then when you go deep into the problem, then you realize that there are all the nuances, and then <laughs> yeah. the problem is more complex. And uh, but it's normal. It's our way, I think, to to simplify things and to survive. Yeah. <laughs> in a, in this world so yeah but I think it's always like that you often come back to something that you uh, conceived as a bad or good and then you start learning the, the nuances as, I mean uh, I think it's how it works so should we wrap it up Moritz yeah, yeah I think I it's mean, been it's... longer than usual today and we could still Continue, <laughs> we could <laughs> still continue. <laughs> no, we waited think, so long. In yeah, the interest of long. our <laughs> users, which are listeners in our case, <laughs> I think we need to wrap it up. Otherwise, we would have to do a second episode. I mean, yeah. that would be acceptable too. But uh, yeah. So we're going to have a break, we said, until for sure we're not going to record anything in August. I think so too, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we should have we will some vacations. Be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But September, right? So sometime Early in September, September yeah. we're yeah, gonna have I some so some new special special things. Yeah, if listeners, if you have suggestions for guests, we're we're always open. We have a few lined up already, which we would like to have. But if you have any any ideas, any crazy idea is very welcome. Or if yeah. you want to spice it up with something, just let us know. Yeah, we're always open to suggestions. Or yeah, send us any feedback or rate us on iTunes. That would be nice too. So we can move up in the in the ranking. In the ranking, that's yeah. always very good. Yeah. 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 And criticism is good as well. So it's good too. if there is yeah. anything you don't like, feel free to send a message. I agree. Okay. Thanks a lot, Paolo. It's been yeah. great having you here finally. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I mean it's uh great. Great to be with you and uh, talk about this stuff. I mean, I love it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks, Paolo. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Bye. 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 Bye.